day. Welcome to the BioCharisma Podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Gardner. Today we have Dr. Tom Cowan. We are discussing a new way of looking at energy production in our body. You know, the one thing in health that anyone that has any salt will tell you is that our vitality, our health really comes down to energy. And if we have enough energy or an excess of energy, we're usually in much better spirits. If we have a, a deficit of energy, this is when sickness occurs, dis-ease. So Dr. Tom Cowan and I, we discuss energy and where energy actually comes from. We also get into some of the processes by which He's investigated pretty deeply and is finding, you know, artifacts of the current conventional system that probably have misled us just a tad. So this podcast is very informative. We only had about an hour. We are definitely going to do more in the future because like most things, we can dive pretty deep in many different directions. So enjoy the podcast and I'll see you on the flip side. Everybody, I would like to welcome you to Dr. Tom Cowan. Uh, Tom, nice to have you. Thank you, Christopher. Nice to see you again. Yes, it's great seeing you too. How long has it been? Was it like two years ago, like a year and a half ago that that I was on? Yeah, something like that. Something like that. Yeah. So since last I spoke to you, you have dropped two massive, wonderful bombshells in my consciousness. The first being, you know, the negation of viral theory. And it was just a theory. So I don't know if you can negate a theory, but then also you getting into the, into what I call the new biology or the real biology of man. And, um, I feel a huge vindication with your, with your work with biology, because as a, as a former pro athlete, the whole succession of billiard ball like mechanics in in biology never made sense to me with the speed at which things occur and uh i had i had access to high speed videoing of my own performances and my performances of uh friends of mine in in athletics where you could see reactions starting before the actual input of stimulus <laughs> so the whole the whole uh notion that you know that there's this metabolic chain of reactions and atp is giving energy to this that and the other uh never sat right with me so i would love for you to expound on 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 where you're at with uh how you see biology, especially cellular biology, where we get our energy, and what is actually the the action, the 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 driver for action. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, let, what kind of athlete were you? Uh, I was a pro football player. I was a field goal oh, yeah. kick. I was a field goal kicker. So everything I did was predicated on timing. For yeah. me to not have a field goal blocked, I had to get my kicks off between 1.15 seconds and 1.2 seconds. Yeah. And so 
uh, this was before 4K video and all the rest of it, but we would literally time and break down the clips. Like we we're always trying to reduce our approach time to kicking the ball because the difference of a tenth of a second was the difference between you having a field goal blocked or not. Yeah, right. And, and so that was a huge thing. And another thing that I was always being, I mean, everything was being timed. I, I didn't have the strongest leg when I kicked, but I could get really good hang time. So we use the term that they use in uh, shooting, the muzzle velocity. You could always tell the strength of somebody's leg by the speed of the get off from, from the time you, you made contact with the ball and it's, it, it's peak of the arc. And so I'm a dome builder now, but back then I was really into arches. I was into the parabolic arc of, you know, the projectile of my foot. <laughs> and I also, um, in Broward County, Florida, I scored a lot of goals in soccer because I had mastered the shot of a, it was called a uh, knuckleball in soccer. And it's where you would turn your foot completely over. And when you'd make contact with the ball, the ball would do all these erratic things. Yeah. And so we would, we'd freeze frame the foot contact and the compression on, on the ball. And I remember at the same time that we were doing that, I was in AP biology learning about ATP, <laughs> adenine triphosphate in the production of, uh, of electricity in the body. And I was just like, I was, I was in AP biology and I was like looking at this stuff. I was like, there's no way all these reactions that they're saying occur for life to occur can happen in the time in which I do things. Because half the time I was in the zone, I wasn't the doer. It was just happening. Like the, the yeah. action was happening. And there is no way you could tell me that there was this series, this cascade of all this bullshit that they were telling us that were happening. That's not the way life happens. So since you've been talking about the, this, this way of looking at cellular biology or non-cellular biology, I've been... I, I've been singing your praises. I'm like, I, I got to talk to him because I, I need to know where you're at with it. Okay. Um, so let's try to break this down a little bit. So the, the first thing I would say, um, I mean, I think I understand what you're asking me to do, but the first thing I would say is, is sort of some obvious points which is um so so the, let, let me even go back a little bit how how do you know if something is real right that's 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 really what we're uh dealing with here and so you can take an example of a tree for example it, you know and so the question is how do you know there are there's such a thing as a tree Right. Right. So I think the process that most people, maybe all people would agree with is the first thing you do is you make the best definition you can of what a tree is. Right. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, how would you know whether you found it or not? Right. Uh, so a tree has a trunk and it has leaves and branches, has roots, although you can't see the roots, but you could dig them up. And 
but it doesn't have a particular color, right? Trees are different colors. Some are white and, you know, some have certain color leaves and other ones. But so you can make the characteristics of a tree, right? You right. with me? Mm -hmm. Then you now that you have a kind of definition, you go to a place where you expect to find a tree, like a forest or, mm -hmm. you know, a hillside or something. And you go looking and then you see if you see anything that fits that definition. Now, if you want, if you find something, you could check yourself and ask like 10 friends, do you see that thing over there that we're calling a tree? And if they all do 10, 100, 1,000 people, you have a pretty good idea that there is such a thing as a tree. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing about that way of doing things is what if there was a blind person and you say, <laughs> do you see the tree? And they say, no. So does that mean the tree isn't there? And the, the answer them. is obviously no, because mm -hmm. the tree is there. The other 99 people say the tree is there. This one person doesn't. And then the blind person says, well, I think the tree is there because I can smell it. Mm. Now, that may be true, right? It, you know, there may be a smell that I don't smell. Like, I don't smell a tree. At least I don't think I do. And But, but this person may have more developed sense of smell than I do. Mm -hmm. But what I would point out is in that case, so we're going out of the realm of what's quote, normal for human beings to prove something, mm -hmm. you would then want to do some science. And science means you, you get a, a dependent variable and an independent variable. In other words, you've, you change one thing and then you see if you have an outcome, mm -hmm. right? right? So for instance, in that case, you might put 10 different things like a a cat and a raccoon and a person and a tree and a flower, et cetera. And you put the blind person in front of those and say a hundred different times, pick out which one is the tree. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And so, so you're actually, you know, the dependent variable is the tree, you know, choosing the tree and the independent variable, you're varying one thing, the thing they're smelling. Mm hmm now, they may not be able to do it, right? So they may get half of them wrong or 80% wrong, in which case most people would conclude that unfortunately they can't really smell the tree. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, he might get 100% right, in right. which case just because he can't see, he has he or she has a way of identifying a tree. And, and you can do that with anything. You can do that with you know, a, a, a frog, you make a definition of what a frog is, you go to a pond, you see if you can see a frog, you might then say I can hear a frog. But then you do a study, you know, whether you hear finches or cats or whatever, and see if you can correlate with what you see. Uh, and you can even do that with things that are too small to see. You could do it with a, a bacteria. Um, so you can go to a place where there's bacteria like your mouth or whatever and see if you can find them. And if you can, 
so you may have to enhance your senses by say using a microscope mm -hmm. right now the the important point about that is if you're going to do something that enhances your senses like a microscope right so now you're seeing something that's too small you have the responsibility to make sure that the microscope didn't somehow produce the thing you're looking at. Right. Zero artifacts. Right. So it could be. Now, that doesn't mean it is. Just because you put a some pond scum on under a microscope doesn't mean shining the light made the bacteria appear. Mm -hmm. But you you have to try to figure out some way of accounting for the fact that you've manipulated the biology, so to speak, mm -hmm. by putting it into a light. And so I think if we use that as a background, you can start to answer these questions about, you know, what actually exists in biology. Right. So, you know, if I said, or, or what are we made of? And if I said, well, human beings have heads, I think if you ask a hundred people, do you agree with that? Can you see a person? Can you see a head on a person? They would all say yes. Mm -hmm. And maybe even somebody could smell it or feel it or something. Mm -hmm. You could check that and you don't need a microscope. There's no artifacts involved. Then you say, so what about a heart? Because you can't really see a heart, but you can feel it. And then you can do an X-ray and an ultrasound and an MRI and a CT scan and you can cut somebody open if you want mm -hmm. and see if they see a heart. Now, you could say the process of cutting somebody open makes there be a heart appear in your chest. Mm -hmm. Now, I would say that's possible, but not very likely. Right. Uh, and because especially if you correlate that with an X-ray, right. you could say, well, an X-ray makes your heart appear. Mm -hmm. But so does an ultrasound, and so does feeling it, and so does cutting it open. At that point, you're kind of absurd, right? Yeah, and you'd have in and this is where precedence has a lot to do with people's perception. Yeah, right, and also what people have thought. Like every human culture that I know of has thought people have hearts and livers and right. etc. So you you also have that to go on. Mm -hmm. And then it starts getting complicated in the things you're talking about, because if you if you go to a liver and you say, what is the liver made of? Most people would say liver cells. And so say, how do you know? Have you ever seen a liver cell in an intact human in an intact liver? The answer is no. Mm -mm. So how do you know it's there? Well, I take a needle and I stick it in a liver and I pull out some of the pieces and then I stain it with very toxic dyes. Mm -hmm. And then I put it under a high beam light. And then I see these compartments, which are called cells. Mm -hmm. Now we know from bacteria that if you threaten bacteria, they form different forms called spores. Mm -hmm. So if you've just threatened that person's liver, right? You've killed it, a right. little bit of it, and you poisoned it. And you probably anesthetized the person to do that. So you've got three possible reasons why 
you may get a structure appearing that doesn't actually exist. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that proves there's no cells, but it certainly, you have to figure out some way of, of accounting for those procedures if possible. Now, it may not be possible because fact of the matter is we you can't see them without it. Right. Uh, but then you're left with a question, especially because until 1860 or so, nobody thought there were cells in the liver or in a human being. That was a, a concoction of a guy named Rudolf Virchow who wrote a book about that because he saw cells in an onion. So therefore, we must be made of cells, mm -hmm. which is bizarre. We're the blooming onion, baby. Yeah, right. <laughs> so anyways, now we know there's 188 different tissue types, liver, kidneys, ovaries, lens of your eye. 44 of them have no cells at all. They're called syncytium. And what they are is organized water. Mm -hmm. There's things dissolved in the water like proteins and amino acids and minerals, ions, probably fats, and maybe some other things. Mm -hmm. But it's it's like a it's like jello. It's organized into a gel. And there is no uh there is no cell there. Right. And if you think about it, why wouldn't it be better for your liver to just be homogenous? you know, like organized crystalline water with like things dissolved in it rather than breaking it up into little cubicles. Mm -hmm. uh, wouldn't it be better for transportation and communication, et cetera? And so I think there's some real questions as to whether cells actually exist, at least the way we think they do. Can I, can I butt in here? Yeah. Um, so I've been a massage therapist for 24 years, and I was trained in uh, many different modalities, but one of the modalities was essentially releasing the tension in the fascia yeah. of the body. And so when you start talking to the real fascists, <laughs> when you talk to the, to the people that have d dove deep into that, um, there's this understanding that the 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 fascia hold the memory of the body like the right. the the fascia is where the imprinting mechanism from our environment is held in our whole body is like an antenna so when you have the fascia imprinted in certain ways your body acts like an array that is picking up information from from consciousness from the greater field yeah. And part of my job is there to ground out whatever impressions are in the fascia itself. So I've had in my consciousness this absolute adoration for knowing what boundaries really are. Because when you start getting into deep tissue myofascial release and you start getting into organ massage and all these different things, the question really is, what is the boundary? Because it, it, it's not so clear. <laughs> that's that's why your research in this regard is so wonderful to me. Because there there's miraculous things that can happen when you're working with somebody where 
you'll feel a density and a tension and a perceived um, shape. And through the loop current, the energetic loop current that's occurring, that that shape will just it will it will dissolve. It will leave. And so for me, this whole notion of organized water, you know, you and I are huge fans of structured water. I'm just like, I'm out of my mind because this, this kind of fits the phenomenology of what I've been experiencing with people on the table. Right. Yeah. It, th this correlates with our experience, not with our intellect. Right. Um, so it also may be easier if I can share my screen. Can I do that? Yes, please. Star Forts. Yummy. Look at yeah. that. So we'll get to that. But so here, so then it, so here's what they, they, they say is a cell. And I, I won't get too much into this, but uh, here, here's what we're told. It has a membrane and it has a nucleus in the middle. And then it's got all these things in it, ribosomes, microtubules, Golgi apparatus, endoplasmic reticulum, etc. Now, the problem is, and if you just take one of them, like a ribosome, which is very important because they say uh, we are made of organized water and proteins. Mm -hmm. uh, that's my hypothesis, let's say. And everybody says that living things are made of proteins. And you say, where are the proteins made? The proteins are coded for by DNA, which makes mRNA in the nucleus. And then the mRNA goes to the cytoplasm and it's translated into proteins on the ribosomes. Mm -hmm. So the ribosomes are important for the whole theory of life because that's where proteins are made. Now, the first interesting thing is the word ribosome means rib of the body, which is an interesting correlation with the story of Adam and Eve. Mm -hmm. So they're a little bit sort of mocking you because they know that the, uh, the structure was made from the rib of the body of, of, the, of Adam whatever that means. Uh, and so they're saying that's the name for where you make proteins. But the problem is, again, we can't see a ribosome. And the only way we can see it is an electron microscope, which means that it's gone through uh, macerating in a blender and freezing to 150 degrees and staining with dyes or freeze fracturing and putting on a, embedding it in a resin and then an electron beam there's no more water left in it. It's de totally dehydrated. And then every single image you get is a perfect circle, just like shown here. And I ask people, what is the chance if you took an orange, like a perfect circle must be a sphere in real life, right? Uh, mm -hmm. You took an orange, which is a sphere, and ground it up in a blender and froze it to 150 degrees and dehydrated it, that every picture of that would be a perfect circle? And the answer is zero. Mm -hmm. So if you look at it, here you see ribosomes, all perfect circles. There's more, more. Uh, and in other words, this cannot be an anatomical structure because you cannot get, 
something that looks like that from that process. So there is no such thing as a ribosome. And in fact, a guy named Harold Hillman proved that these were gas bubbles just from typical dead and dying tissue. <laughs> That's cool. And then you go back in this endoplasmic reticulum. So what is that? It's the cord that links the nucleus to the cell wall. And the reason they made this one up is because they had a problem of they know by measurement that you stick a probe in the cytoplasm, that's the watery part, and a probe in the nucleus and the pH is different. Therefore, the hydrogen ions are not equal across the nuclear membrane, mm -hmm. right? Otherwise, right. the pH would be the same. So the question is, since an mRNA, which is supposedly made in the nucleus, is thousands of times bigger than a hydrogen ion, how do you keep the hydrogen ions out of the nucleus without letting the and still let the mRNA out? It's another way to put the question is, how do you make a door that lets an elephant out but keeps the mosquitoes from getting in and out? Uh, you don't. You don't. So they had to uh, make up some tube that connects to the wall of the nucleus, and then the mRNA slithers down the tube and then exits to the ribosomes attached to the tube. The problem is there still has to be a door. And so wherever there's an exit, the, the hydrogen ions would get in. And so they still have the same problem. And the other problem is since there's hundreds of these uh, tethers from the cell wall to the nucleus, right, ropes, mm -hmm. and you see the nucleus going around in 360s in the tissue. It, that's impossible. That, that, that How do you get ropes, you know, no. why don't they get tangled up? Right. And yeah, so, just the centrifugal force would, would mess everything else up in their model. Right. And, and so, again, you see that's the endoplasmic reticulum, those lines, the tubes. But that cannot be, and again, Hillman proved those are just fracture lines in the, in the watery cytoplasm. Mm -hmm. So these things, and essentially everything in this diagram, besides the nucleus and the mitochondria, are artifacts. They don't exist. Mm -hmm. And it's actually easy to demonstrate that. So what we're left with, you know, and again, it's not the only thing. This is a, a synapse in a nerve. And this is what you're talking about. We're, we're told that the way nerves work is there's a cell body, and then there's an axon, mm -hmm. and then it ends in a junction called a synapse, right? Which is a moat. But, uh, you know, it's a distance. It's, it's a gap. A, sp a, sp it. a spark gap. Yeah, a spark gap between one nerve and the next. And so you say, so where, how do you see this? Well, you can't see it except in an electron microscope. So the tissue was dehydrated. Right. And if you think about it, if there's 20 nerve, and this is where the problem you got into, how do, if, if things take you know, 0.05 seconds to transverse the, the synapse, which is what they say. How do you send a signal if there's 20 synapses between your brain and your foot to kick a football in 
in it doesn't take a mill it doesn't take two seconds right it takes no time and so so i went looking is there a picture of a synapse and that's nope. what i found that's just a <laughs> that's just make-believe wait so then there was this one and that's just so i said okay i want a real picture of a synapse so there it is it's the thing in the middle it says sy oh give me a break and and I, you, yeah right you look at that and you think what the you gotta be that's that's sin that's terrible that's just, that's just a two-dimensional stain. I think that's so, why they have all kids watching cartoons is because they get you addicted to cartoons as a little kid. And then later in life, when they're lying to you, they just show you a cartoon of space or a cartoon of biology or a cartoon of like a, a Corona cell. And, you know, you've been conditioned to believe in cartoons. It's just dog right. shit. Right. So, I, you know, and I could go on, but here are a list of the things that clearly don't exist. Lipid bilayer membranes, you know, ribosomes, blood-brain barrier, endoplasmic reticulum, receptors on cell membranes, opiate receptors, serotonin receptors, synapses and nerves, neurotransmitters, holes in the nuclear membrane, we don't have an immune system. There's no such thing as autoimmunity. Uh, DNA is not the mechanism of heredity. There is not one DNA makes, RNA makes protein. They say that. They say each gene makes one protein. Then they find out there's 200,000 uh, proteins and only 20,000 genes. And so it doesn't mm. work. Right. There's 180,000 proteins not accounted for by genes mm -hmm. and then they find out that the dna in every cell of the body is different so how can it be the code and it's actually easy to see that because if they say the dna of your hand is the same as your foot right that's what they say mm -hmm. but how if you cut your hand you make you heal it to make a hand and if you cut your foot, you make a, a structure that looks like your foot. You don't make an ear out of your hand. And that if this if the DNA was the blueprint and the decider, how how would you know which one to make? Because it's supposedly the same. Mm -hmm. So, anyways, it's not the same. Uh, and so that means that it cannot be the stable mechanism of heredity. There's no Christe and mitochondria, and then I put these government-associated foundations care about your well-being. That's a myth. And uh, <laughs> human beings understand logic and reasoning, which is mostly a myth, right? too. So at the end of the day, here's what you see if you look at a cell under the with the least disruption. You see a slightly thickened membrane like jello. You don't have a cell membrane in jello. And that's why you can poke holes in tissue like your liver and nothing happens. It doesn't squirt out water, mm -hmm. you know, do doesn't leak. And in fact, in, until you've got hundreds or thousands of holes, it still functions normally, just like jello would. And then you've got these little black dots, which are mitochondria, which make ATP, which I'll which you asked about. So I'll talk about that. 
And then you have a nucleus, which is a round structure in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. That's all you got. There's nothing else there. Organized water, dome in the middle, uh, slightly thickened exterior, and a power plant that makes ATP embedded in the water part. So now let's get into the ATP because you asked about that. So how does this work? Where does the energy of life come from? The energy is an electromagnetic field, right? It's electromagnetism. That's what we mean by life. And that's created by the ability of water to form into coherent structures. Mm -hmm. So that we know the water creates a field. So the question is, how does the water end up in this coherent phase? And the answer to that is similar to jello. So how do you make jello? You take water and you put gelatin proteins in it, right? Mm -hmm. And nothing happens. And then you heat up the mixture. And what happens is the, AT, uh, the, the gelatin proteins become unfolded. They go from this to, to linear. And that allows the water to attach to the proteins and then when it cools, it cools into this gel-like structure. So the role of ATP, since we don't have a Bunsen burner in our body to, to heat up the, the proteins and unfold them, the ATP attaches to the tips of the proteins, unfolds them, and lets the, allows them to uh, attach to the water to create gels. So it looks like if you don't have ATP, you don't have energy. But that's not because ATP is an energy source. It only plays the role of the heat in making structured water. Wow. That that really, that's like, that's bringing me right back to Ayurvedic medicine. Like if you're a Rajasic person that naturally has more heat, like you have more heat as somebody that you know touches others like you would always look for somebody that was you know a, a pitta kappa somebody that had more heat more fire mixed with the earth element and if you had the combination of those two i mean taking taking what you're saying you would essentially have you know either more atp or a high or a higher heat quotient to your ATP because then you'd have the extra energy when you're in a loop current with somebody to actually impress upon them a change in their ATP, therefore the organizing principle of their body. Right. Yeah. So then the next question is what stimulates the mitochondria to make this catalyzing substance? And to a certain extent, that's food, but most importantly, it's light. Right. So Far here we have a system where if you, if you, and you can understand all of natural medicine and healing by just understanding this system. So what we have is a dome in the middle, which ha probably has some sort of antenna on it maybe even DNA. 
It's a coil, not a double helix. And so the coil uh, uh, essentially attracts the light, or you might say downloads the light, or acts as a receiver of the light. But not just light, also sound and mm -hmm. thoughts and consciousness, right? Anything that's in the ether, in the electromagnetic field. It brings that those electromagnetic impulses down into the mitochondria in the water, stimulates the production of, of this chemical that then organizes the water into different coherent domains within the structure. Mm -hmm. And that these different coherent domains, whether it's a liver or a kidney or a muscle, that creates the essentially the structure that we call the living organism. Mm -hmm. And that structure also is itself giving off an electromagnetic field. Mm -hmm. And that's what we call the energy of life. So there's a communication between, you know, essentially accepting the light and the sound and the thoughts and the feelings and, you know, the uh, radiance from the earth, et cetera. Uh, down embedded essentially downloading that into the water to create structure that then emanates out its own field and you can see that then when disease happens when you know when your antenna is messed up definitely or when your water is disorganized because you put aluminum in it or dioxins or you know, uh, you don't have enough ions or you don't have enough proteins or amino acids or or you've got poison dissolved in it. And so what do you do? You heat up the water, the gel. That's a sauna, that's hyperthermia, that's fever, that's sweat lodges, mm -hmm. that's, you know, all those things. Heat up the water, make it flow. And that's called, you know, detoxification. So you get rid of some of the poisons and then you can reconstitute a more perfect gel. Right. And that's called healing. And so you can see every every intervention, whether it's the right food to allow the different, uh, you know, domains of the water to be organized, or if you put electromagnetic fields like, you know, 5G or something then you give an abnormal signal and that you know messes it up and you can see every source of health and illness from that little model just knowing what we're made of and and you know i'm partial to it because i'm a dome builder <laughs> right so it, me, oh me, look at let that let me show you some some evidence that i use for that right you're a dome builder you know, here is this Veda Austin basically takes a dish of water and shows it, you know, like a wedding invitation. And then she freezes it and oh, it shows beautiful. you a picture of a wedding ring. Beautiful. So the water has the memory. It can make structure. And here it just makes crystals. And in us, it makes, you know, physical protein structures. Or they ask the water, what is falling down, which is... Tom, I'm going to I'm going to send you another invite real quick. My I tried to pay for a pro account this morning and it didn't go through. So I'm going to send you another uh, another link real quick, okay? Okay. So 
I've had I have some alchemist friends and they're yelling at me because they tell me that the salt is what carries memory, not the water. And I'm like, water is the universal solvent. And they're like, actually, that's not true. And with with biological things, proteins and stuff like that, water is the universal solvent. And I was like, I'm like, I know of homeopathic remedies where they can measure there's zero salt in the homeopathic remedy, but yet the remedy works. So there's obviously something that's more subtle that is being carried by the water that, that we're not aware of. Like we don't have the ability to measure because my feeling is it's it, the memory is in the water. That's why it used to be called the universal solvent. W where are you at with that? I mean, you need uh, <clears throat> you need ions in order to to um, to have memory in the water. So I think they bottom line is they work together. Okay, so I have a magnetic. You you and I are into actually uh, essentially making water as structured and as delicious as possible for, for the body. And so part of my process, and as I understand it, I could have the wrong understanding is I put my water through a phase conjugate magnet array. And as I understand it, the phase conjugation of the magnets, what it does is it organizes the direction of the water molecule in a certain way where whatever was imprinted onto the water beforehand is no longer imprinted on the water. And I don't know if that's ionic. I, in all honesty, I don't understand. I don't understand ions because I don't look at electricity as particulates. You know, I, I don't have like the proton, neutron, electron thing in my mind as much as I used to. So, I understand charge and I understand polarity and I understand fields, but I don't necessarily understand when we try and like particulate it. Do you, do you have yeah, that? That's right. That gets really complicated. And I don't know that anybody really can knows that. Uh, so I think all you can do is say, you know, in biological systems, there's always ions dissolved in water. Or at least that's what it appears. So if you have a completely distilled water, I think you would get less ability to make coherence. Okay. Uh, and so if you put minerals in it, like the earth does, then when you put it in this magnetic field, the, the, the combination of the water and the, and the minerals and maybe other things dissolved in it, uh, that creates the field that produces the charge that creates, you know, life. Mm -hmm. So in the, in our body, right. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the, the natural philosophers of the turn of the 20th century, you know, primarily Victor Schauberger being the main one. And he spoke about, about electricity is just being temperature differential. So, and this, this led me to you when I first came across you was your work around the true shape of the heart, which I love your logo because that's the geometric, that, that's the geometric uh, 
vector of what the heart like that's so beautiful but um one of the things that never made sense to me in biology beforehand also was the fact that they said the heart is a pump you know and when you look at the energy input that it would be needed for it to be a pump it's just it's so exorbitant that it made no sense and then reading victor schauberger he was like well if you look at the the difference in temperature from your peripherals to your core body temperature that differential is always there and that differential is what actually fuels the implosion the 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 heart isn't a pump it's more of a imploder because that's the way nature works and yes. that that really switched me on because i was like that makes so much more sense because it takes one four hundredth the amount of energy to get the same amount of quote unquote force and so this whole thing that you're talking about with the cells are these domes in the middle of the dome you essentially have something that's creating temperature differential because if you have heat as you go to the periphery you have non-heat because the universe is always trying to take heat that's what it's it's doing it's trying to pull heat and wherever you have heat you have life so this is making this is really getting me more like it's jogging my memory into the whole ayurvedic me medicine way of looking at things yeah because there's so much in Ayurvedic medicine that's about the, the diving deep into the qualitative aspects of temperature, you know, because <laughs> if, if you're talking about heat, you're talking about cold and these things have qualitative aspects. And as, yes. some, as somebody that's touched thousands of people, literally, there's these qualitative aspects with healthy people relative to unhealthy people that has a lot to do with temperature yeah. so it, it's such an incredible way of 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 it's such an incredible organizing principle because i've never i've never thought of it as an organizing principle i know this with water you know watery water has the anomaly point at four degrees celsius which is 42 degrees fahrenheit where it's in between it's at its most concentrated state and it becomes gelatin it becomes yep. gelatin gelatin like and i always forget if that's more viscous or less viscous i have a little bit of dyslexia with viscosity but at that point water naturally structures and it's right before it expands into ice right and becomes less dense but it's at this point where it essentially becomes a liquid crystal because all the all the quote unquote molecules of it are all in phase with each other and then you end up getting this this liquid crystalline superconductor and um i'm having with my alchemist friends and stuff like that they're like really they're telling me that's why certain lakes and certain rivers and stuff like that will always have gold in them because the the shape of the 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 stream with the rock minerals that are there whatever flow form that the water is dancing through relative to the input the solar input the the water creates the gold <laughs> It's not that the gold was like there to, you know, like 
you know, it was endemic to the earth. We're told that it's a mineral that's endemic to the earth. And when I first heard this, I did experiments with water. I would make these magnetite sleeves and I would take like an, what would look like an old Tervis cup and I would poke a hole in it and fill it with magnetite. And then I'd put distilled water in it. And then I'd put it outside in the sun for about a, for, I did all, all different lengths of time, but I usually do it from new moon to new moon. And I shit you not inside the water, you'd end up getting these growths of these crystals. And some of them look like silver. Some of them look like platinum. I had no way of testing what they were and they weren't bacterial because I would test with the parts per million meter in the water and it wouldn't even read it, but it was there. And so the people that taught me this, they were like, oh yeah, if you have pure water, whatever medium you put around the water, if you have some sort of solar input or some sort of light input, like you're talking about, there's a self-organizing principle that will happen and there will be a transference of the information the light, the light will move whatever the, the exterior is to the interior of the water and the water will start to form it. And this happens, especially with what we call precious metals. It's absolutely amazing. So to think of our body as this locomotive, uh, biological thing that's constantly moving through space and time and is always absorbing all these different forms of light would have, it would make so much sense that we would have all these different um, ways of, of organizing what we need internally without like, let's just say the, the input of food through the GI tract, you know, <laughs> just breathing. Right. Or, or the input of some sort of DNA controlling everything. There's nothing like that. It's no. It's, it's basically, you know, electromagnetic information that, that, as you say, I don't know if exactly what you're talking about, but impacts the water to unleash a kind of creative potential. Mm -hmm. And the creative potential is actually structure forming. Yes. So it could be the structure that's formed is a metal or it could be the structure that formed is actually you. Right. And, you know, that's how, like, you know, ancient Egypt, they saw it. They saw that, you know, you were, the essence of you is this information. And then you, out of that, your, your water and your salt, you might say, make life. And so if anything goes wrong in the system, it's it, you, you, you change it primarily by changing the input, mm -hmm. the light. Yeah. That, that makes total sense. Uh, right now with my current exterior water conditioning system, I moved to the Ozark since last we spoke and I'm on a well now, I'm not on spring water. And so I'm, I'm working out what's the best way to like filter the sediment from my well. Um, so I have, I get my water down to zero parts per million and then <laughs> I'm vortexing it as usual. And I'm playing with all different, well, I shouldn't say all different. I bought a cold laser 
to like give it the 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 cold laser uh, light frequency the the I believe it's it's either near or far infrared cold laser yeah. and um, but I gotta tell you if it's a sunny day like today and I just spin the water and I have the sun going through the water the the sweetness of that water is so palpable it's so yeah. it's so different than like any of these contrived devices that i have and there's something about motion that actually yeah. conditions and i know this is true for the body like if i exercise regularly it's obvious the body takes a different shape so there's a different consciousness there but there's also like the locomotion it's it's like this this realm that we're in through movement and the light inputs we actually the the body just recreates itself anew right in very specific movements like we're talking about water if you have this vortex and the vortex is creating this 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 condensate without density then you end up having a concentration of the external environment into it and then when you imbibe that into your body you end up having this like expression of a greater aspect of what your external environment is yep i go along with that <laughs> sorry i i uh I'm no it's it, it's it's movement and and light movement and sound and movement and thought and that's what as you say shapes your physical body yeah and shapes your consciousness and that's why you know we're living in a a time when people a don't move and b more importantly their consciousness is shaped by you know by well by intentional you know control grids essentially yeah and so they they create structures that are not able to perceive reality it's so true it's so true and all the people i know that are in nature all the people that i know that like give themselves time in nature they all have a much more grounded aspect to their consciousness yeah and it's it's like when you get when you become a man or woman in good standing you know to me that's just somebody that that is connected to the land you have the capacity for your internal waters you know the, the waters you know above and below you have that 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 correspondence that occurs and then your life is just better you're not yeah. you're not beholden to the bs that that the artificiality that the the technocracy want wants you to believe in right yeah you're, I know you, you said you had an hour today. So um, what's going on when it comes to the, with, with where you're driving at with this biology? Um, where, where do you see this ending? Like from a, from a health protocol perspective, are you going to be coming up with a protocol system that engenders all these notions of, of, how you know biology and health actually work like where where are you taking this or do you even know yet <laughs> i mean my my i don't i don't really know but my intention is 
more and more. So I, I'm coming at it with, and I would say, let's call it a hypothesis. So, and you could see whether you agree with this, but my hypothesis is we can't get to the life we want, either as individuals or collectively as, you know, men and women and human beings, um, unless it's based in reality. In other words, you cannot build a, a better society or a healthier person if your if your foundation is not true. Mm -hmm. And so we're living in a system where pretty much everything from, you know, cosmology, our history, our money, our politics, government, biology, and you, you could name a lot more. Our agriculture is all based on fundamentally somewhere between lies and misconception. Mm -hmm. It's not real. Just like all the stuff in biology, it's not real. Right. Uh, and my premise is if you have an unreal biology, you cannot come up with a real healing medicine. If you have an unreal uh, economic system based on make-believe money, right? That's what we have. You cannot create healthy economic life for the people. Mm -hmm. So th that's the first, my first premise. The second premise is that, and I got this from a combination of uh, Carlos Castaneda and Sherlock Holmes. They both claim that in order for you to think of something new, you have to get rid of the old stuff first. Hmm. In other words, you cannot create a new system of medicine and still believe in that viruses exist. Mm -hmm. it, there's no room in, in your consciousness, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. Like once you have that fundamental misconception, you cannot go from there and create a, a healing system. Right. So you have to get rid of the other thing. And what I see in so many systems now, even modern homeopathy and anthroposophical medicine and Ayurvedic is, oh, yeah, we believe in viruses, but we're going to, you know, balance your etheric body and all that. Mm -hmm. No, you're not. No. <laughs> No, you're not. You're doing nonsense. You're you're just grafting one bit of 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 stuff onto a foundation of nonsense. So, like it or not, uh, my main task I see is is address the nonsense. Right. Do you? I don't. The main thrust of my streams and podcasts is getting to the cosmology of the people I really respect. I love the fact that you've, you've gone in and you, you're constantly evolving your view. Like from when I first read you years ago to now your view, like you're allowing the information to dematerialize these old misconceptions 
and you're coming and looking at things anew. To me, that there's a level of innocence in that when you're uh, when you allow yourself to go. Oh, I was lied to, I was fooled. Now, now this makes more sense. Let's go forward. If you wouldn't mind, because it's very important to me to know people that I respect what their what their cosmology or what their meta vision is. What is this realm that we live in? Like what like if you were to expand out to the largest view and look down at life, what how do you see it? <laughs> well, um first of all, to answer, you know, the reason I do that, uh change what I think is frankly because I got a lot of things wrong. Same same that's all of us all of us all of us people that are living really living like what did the ancient Greeks say to be human is to error like yeah like you have so, to admit it I, right I'd be I'd be a, a bigger idiot than I care to be if I said no I used to think this so I'm going to stick with it even though I know I'm wrong I mean I could do that but I don't really like doing that mm -hmm. uh I mean I, what's my Cosmo? You know, I, I'm working on that right now. That, that I'm going to sort of leave it at that because okay. I'm I'm a little bit caught between at least two and maybe three competing interpretations of what's happening. And I I can tell you that if people want to look further into it. Uh, what I don't know how many people these days have read Carlos Castaneda, but it's awesome. It's worth taking a look at mm -hmm. uh, because uh, there's a lot of interesting stuff he brings out as to what actually is happening here. And mm -hmm. so I, I'm just, you know, right now working with it so I can get a, hopefully if I work with it enough, I can speak about it. But right now I'm still in, in the, as they say, status nascende. I'm still working on what what's going to emerge that feels right. And hey, I think we all are. I don't think I don't think we all uh, like when I say what's your cosmology. I know it's a work in progress. I have to say, after reading Carlos Castaneda, there was uh, there was a fundamental thing that he said in one of his books that changed my life. I think it was The Sorcerer's Apprentice. He said in that in that the the man that he was, you know, kind of being fooled by, but also taught by the man had this axiom. He says, I am not under the influence of any agreement I wasn't a party of making. And when I when when that hit and I really embodied that. I have to say that a lot of the lies and misconceptions that were impressions in my system, they all started to leave. Yeah. Because I had no, I, I didn't know at what level I was contracting in, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't know. Yeah. And then when I read that book and then I read that, 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 line that his teacher gave him it was like this is like the way in which you now create a boundary layer and you are taking full responsibility and and you're not you're not beholden to anyone else's agreement willy-nilly yeah 
I mean, the way I would put that is I'm not, I don't want to be beholden to anybody's interpretation of what constitutes reality. I need to see the evidence. Right. Right. And I'll decide for myself, even if I'm wrong, uh, I'll, I'm going to progressively decide for myself and I'm willing to take, take a look at anything. You know, I can give you examples of things that just, you know, we all believe, but they're just not true, mm -hmm. just like ribosomes. And so I, I'm starting with sort of easy ones like the virus. That's an easy one. Mm -hmm. If you can't, after two and a half, three years, see that there's no such thing as a virus, you, you're not going to get any further than that mm -hmm. because you're, you're captured. Right. Right. And so, so the, in, in, in a psyop, in a, you know, that, that is going to affect your ability. And that's an easy one. I mean, anybody who takes an hour should be able to understand that that's just a make-believe story. Right. And then you go on, then you, you know, there's hundreds of other ones and it's, to me, it's fun. Although, you know, it's, it's for a lot of people, it's disconcerting. Like, mm -hmm. where do I stand? You know, what's real? Uh, but after a while, you get used to it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, you're not identified with the temporal. The, yeah, that helps. Yeah. Um, well, this has been wonderful, Dr. Cowan. Um, I, I watch every single thing that you put out there. Hopefully in the future, we could, we could dive a little bit deeper. Um, at some point I would like to show you my, my, my creations, my buildings and all, all the different, yeah. all the different things that I'm into, but, hey. uh, but you're doing, you're doing bang up work and, um, you know, I'm going to just spread the good word. I, I push everybody that wants to know about health and wellness to, in, into your corner. So great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Okay, Christopher, we'll be in touch. Sounds great. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Isn't it amazing that our world, the design of our world is that it wants to organize in such a divine way. The notion that we evolved from some muck in a pond <laughs> is quite laughable when you actually start to see the, the structuring that is occurring. When we have clean water, good music, and good forests. Um, I have been involved in building thermal mass heaters and then temescals, which a temescal is like a masonry heat lodge, like a little sweat lodge. And in Mexico, there's a long, long, long held tradition of these temescals being made out of red brick. And what you do in a temescal, just like a sweat lodge, is you bring in these extremely hot rocks and you put it dead center of this little cylinder and it heats the entire room with you in it. And just over the last 20 or so years, people have been wondering like, how can you go into these like little brick cylinders and come out a new person? And it's pretty much that the 
the far infrared heat that is emitted from red brick, from red clay, when it's heated, is exactly what gets the mitochondria going in our body. So Dr. Tom Cowan talking about, you know, we have these little, little cytoplasmic-like, I guess you call it domes, and <laughs> you know my affinity for domes. In the very center, you have this little generator known as the mitochondria. And the mitochondria is the heat. It is the organizing principle within, within our biology that ends up causing the proteins to actually create this, this dome-like structure. Could, it, could our biology not be more fascinating? And we're just at the tip of the spear with this. I know Dr. Cowan and his friends are, are really going uh, hard in the paint to find, find exactly what the agents of causation, the agents of, of motivation within the body are. And uh, it's just remarkable that this, this divine structure that we've been given is so interactive and to think any of us are an island unto ourselves, and that our surroundings don't actually have um, an interplay with our consciousness and our own will is laughable to me. So I hope you enjoyed the podcast. He and I are definitely going to do more. Uh, we ha we've had some nice interactions since then. And uh, I think with all my guests, I'm just starting friendships. And these friendships are, are going to have be a dialogue, an interesting dialogue for you to listen to. And just to give you a perspective that might be not the, the most uh, normal perspective. Uh, this upcoming, in a couple days, I'm interviewing my friend Joe Van Newkirk. He's a, he's a, a stud puppy rugby player. Or he's an ex-pro rugby player. I think he was like top 10 in the world. And uh, I've built for Joe, I've built some domes for Joe in Costa Rica, and he, he's in South Africa right now. I'm in North Carolina. The, uh, the big, uh, what were they calling it? The bomb cyclone is about to hit us. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. You know, it's probably like what they talk about with hurricanes, you know. They always used to try and scare us on the news with hurricanes in Florida. We'd be out like, you know, skimboarding on the on the golf courses it's, it's not a big deal but uh yeah i have joe coming up the next couple days if uh, you guys hear this your your christmas weekend i wish you a happy christmas and if you're chanakuing it up enjoy your hanukkah and uh we'll see you on the flip side I can't tell.